Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. broadcast today is entitled Clarity on Matters of Abuse Within the Church. It seems that reports of abuse or other sorts of scandals and scandalous behavior frequently find themselves before us on social media and on the news. This sort of thing and the proper biblical response to it is something that we've spoken of before here on the radio and also in our video blog that we occasionally undertake, MTZ Cast. It's something that we've written about in text form and something that we frankly need to be reminded of on occasion, both as a warning that things such as abuse can happen, and that's something that we'll talk about today, and to offer clarity on how such behavior should be handled in a church body and among God's people at large. I'm sure those of you that have been alive for a few decades can recall in the early 2000s the sexual abuse scandal among Roman Catholic priests. It was a major deal, and there were criminal cases and civil cases. It was a very highly publicized thing, and many people in Christianity were very critical of that organization because, rightly so, of their attempt at covering the trouble up instead of cleaning house and dealing with the trouble. But more recently, there have been news stories about the great number of cases such as this, either of covered-up infidelity or outright abuse among the Southern Baptist churches. They've faced great scrutiny in recent years, and there are newspaper articles that you can read that give you some of the details of how many cases there are and how certain abusive youth pastors were allowed to jump from one congregation to another without any sort of repercussions, because rather than dealing with it 
in a way that would be publicized, sometimes trouble is swept under the rug. But there are also many smaller denominations, some reform denominations, who have experienced things such as that, abuse and abusers in their midst. And there are some celebrity preacher figures who have discredited themselves either through abusing people or preying on people. And just so we're clear today, we're going to be talking about both the concept of abuse, but also when a pastor or a celebrity figure, someone maybe that's a Christian comedian or a Christian artist, when they use the status that they have to win over and conquer females or others, to me, When someone is a pastor and they use that position of authority to woo another person and commit fornication with them, that is a violation in and of itself. Because you're in a position of authority, you ought to know better. You receive the greater condemnation as a pastor or a speaker or someone who is more of a figurehead among Christians in general. Sometimes People will use their status in that regards to be with other people and to have many, many partners. And that's wrong. It's a shame. But to the point, this has affected many denominations, whether ones that we are more close to or ones that we are 180 degrees opposite of. It's been something that has brought down celebrity preachers and figures and bloggers and radio speakers, and it's a serious problem in Christianity. Now, to be clear, no denomination is safe from this sort of thing. It's very sad when this occurs. It's tragic when this occurs, but life in this sin-cursed earth is what it is. And because we live in a sin-cursed world, we're going to have, in any and every order of faith— men who either prey on other people or men who fall into sinful relationships with people inside a congregation that they serve or in the workplace and scandalize themselves and discredit themselves. It's a very unfortunate thing. It's a tragic thing, but it is something that happens in the world. Now, there are four basic points that I want to give you today on the broadcast, or ideas I want to speak to on the broadcast, perhaps I should say. The first point that I just want to address as we begin today's message, why should this be something that we are concerned about from a biblical perspective? In other words, yeah, we know this is a thing in the world. Yes, we know that this is a problem. But why is this something that you should take our time speaking about As a Christian broadcaster, a pastor, why do we need to know this information? I can think of no better reason to share something with you than that it was the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we want to look at today as we consider the concept of why do we want to speak about this, why is this something that we need to address, would be the very words of Christ himself. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, and verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, or ravening wolves. You and I, as Christians, might read that and think, well, this is talking about your outrageous false teacher who comes up with all kinds of nonsense that's unbiblical, his own ideas, his dreams, his goals, maybe even his politics, and he uses that to tickle the ears of God's people in attempt to have power from them or 
to be enriched by them in a financial sense. And certainly that's part of the equation. That's part of the motivation and the reality of the existence of false teachers and their behavior, etc. But fundamentally, a false prophet is a wolf dressed up as a sheep to come in among the sheep and devour the sheep. And so whether we're talking about someone who's an outright heretic in their doctrine, or we're talking about someone who preys on vulnerable people in the church, whether women or children or anyone else, that is the behavior of a false prophet as well. So we need to understand from the very beginning that this is an important thing for us to discuss because, as Jesus taught, wolves dress up as sheep, they enter into the flock, and they devour God's people. If for no other reason this needs to be taught to God's people because it is literally the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in his first sermon in the book of Matthew. Now, you notice that he says, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. He concludes this line of thought in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 7, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. We know false teachers by their fruit. In other words, their lifestyle and their track record is going to declare them as such. Now, sometimes it takes longer for these people to be outed in the church, and we'll speak to that concept in a moment. But you will eventually know false teachers, false prophets in the church, because their works will bear witness of what type of person that they are. Sometimes people like to reword that, particularly among those who believe lordship salvation, as beware of false professors which come unto you in sheep's clothing. But again, this says false prophets. This is a warning against fake teachers, fake prophets who come into the people of God, among the people of God, with the intent of preying on them in one way or another. Again, it could be financially, but many times in our present day and age, it is in a sexual sense, in an abusive sense. People that are false prophets come among God's people and they prey on them. Now, just pragmatically thinking about the behavior of a wolf, is the wolf more than likely in the wild going to attack a strong buck, or is it going to go after an easier victim such as a fawn? Well, usually they go after the easier victims. If you grew up like I did with rabbit ear television back in the 80s, you might remember one of the programs called Nature. When we would grow up watching Nature, sometimes they would show scenes from the African savanna in which these predatorial animals would stalk the weaker of the prey, perhaps a young wildebeest or a gazelle that had strayed too far from the rest of its herd, and they stalk, they pounce, and they devour that's not unlike the behavior of the wolf that Jesus warns against in Matthew chapter 7. They prey on the vulnerable, they take advantage of them, and they do so to devour them. In the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul reiterates this point as he speaks to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood, for I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore what? Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. 
Paul says, listen, I know that after I leave, there are going to be men, wolves, who come into the flock to devour the flock that Jesus purchased with his own blood. Now, by the way, I love to know the truth of the finished work of salvation. A wolf, though he might devour a sheep in this world, cannot take a sheep of Christ from their heavenly Father. And you can read John 10, you can read John 6, you can read John 17, you can read Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 1. Nothing a false teacher does can take a single child of God from their heavenly Father. Speaking to this fact, Paul says, concerning certain heretics in Second Timothy, nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. So no matter what the false teacher does in this world, or the false prophet, or the wolf, they cannot take God's sheep from him, but they can devour them and abuse them here in the world. And from this passage and from the one we considered in Matthew chapter 7, church, we ought to be aware of that. We ought to be watching out in those cases. We simply can't be asleep at the wheel, as it were. Now, number two along those lines of why, why does this happen? Well, we need to be aware because wolves dress as sheep and come in and devour the flock, but we also need to be aware that we're all sinners. Every single one of us in this world has a nature of sin. And so because of that, sometimes even good men find themselves falling into sinful relationships. Now, I'm not talking about abuse here. I'm talking more along the lines of a man having an affair or something such as that. We are all sinners. Every one of us is guilty of violating God's commandment against committing adultery in our heart, as we have looked upon other people throughout our lives with lust in our heart, to lust after them, we are all guilty of that. Every single one of us. Sometimes good men fall into relationships with other people, and it's mutual, and it is sinful. God is displeased. They scandalize themselves. They discredit themselves, and they destroy their ministries. Or perhaps if they're not a minister, they ruin their reputation. They destroy their name in the sight of other people. They lose the respect of their children. That's certainly something that happens in the world as well, and we need to be aware of it too. Number two, this should matter to us. So first we consider why does this happen? We need to be aware because wolves dress up as sheep and come in to devour the flock. Number two, this should matter to us because it matters to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Matthew chapter 18, which is a chapter that deals very heavily with church discipline. Jesus said in verse 6, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. What a severe statement is that. It's better for a millstone, a heavy stone, to be connected to my neck, and for me to be drowned in the depth of the sea than to offend one of these little ones that believe in Jesus. Now, the word abuse doesn't occur explicitly here, but it's all over this passage. If you don't see abuse in here, you need to revisit this statement by the Lord. Someone who abuses children, it's better for a millstone to be connected to his neck and him drowned in the depth of the sea. That means that God will deal harshly with people who prey on those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this should matter to us because this matters to the Lord Jesus Christ, so much so that he will deal so harshly with people being drowned in the depth of the sea is better than what he would do to them. 
But also in the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, verses 8 and 9, Solomon wrote, Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are as appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Here's something that happens that I have witnessed over and over in my adult life. When someone has an accusation that has credibility to it of abuse or other such scandalous behavior, and it's reported, immediately those who report it, whether they're right, it matters not to some people, they're accused of being gossips. Now, to be very clear, the Bible does condemn gossiping and talebearing, but if something's true, it's not gossip. If a person is legitimately hurting another person, let's say young children or a wife who is beaten and battered and abused, it's not gossip to say this man is wrong and he needs to be dealt with. No, we are commanded to open our mouths and judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. It's not gossip for us to say, this man is an abuser, he needs to be excommunicated. It's not gossip. It's actually our job to defend those who are not able to protect themselves. And so as we think about why this should matter to us, it should matter to us to protect children, and it should matter to us to hold people accountable who abuse other people, whether a man who beats his wife, it could be a woman who physically assaults her husband. That's something that happens in the world, too. If someone rapes another person, if they molest a child, they need to be held accountable. And you and I need to do all that we can to protect children. By the way, this is one of the reasons that I am so in favor of family-integrated worship in the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like it is with innocent things such as scouting and cheer and gymnastics and sports— Predators see that sort of thing like a youth group or segregating children away at church the way that we do in school and other places. They see that as an opportunity to do terrible things with very limited, if any, oversight at all. And so I believe there's a great superiority to family-integrated worship at the church that I pastor. From diapers through college graduation, your children are there with you, and— They grow up hearing the sermon, the same sermon that the adults preach. There's not a different room for youngsters than adults, and we don't shy away from teaching any subject that the Bible talks about, though we do it with the modesty that the Bible presents it. Family-integrated worship actually protects children from some of this abuse that could happen in the church. A final word on that before moving on to our next point. Sometimes people are reluctant to report actual abuse in the church, and they're more apt to cover it up and not protect people who have been abused because they want to protect the brand name. And this is something that affects all sorts of churches and denominations in modern Christendom. And it's an atrocity because God calls upon us to clean house in these cases, which will be the next thing that we talk about today on Words of Grace. God expects us to deal with issues such as this We can't simply sweep it under the rug to protect the brand. Abusers should be dealt with. Now, this brings us to point number three for today, dealing with abusers. How is it that we need to deal with abuse in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? First of all, it's true that abusers should face church discipline. We can look at 
Matthew chapter 18 as a good example of that. The same chapter we were in just moments ago. If a brother trespass against thee, go tell him his fault between thee and he alone. If he hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. If he will not hear thee, take one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. If he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. Paul would describe that a couple of times in his epistles as delivering someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man who was in an adulterous relationship with his father's wife, his stepmother, and the church knew this, they gloried in it, they didn't deal with it, and Paul tells them to purge out the old leaven. He tells them not to keep company in the church with people who are guilty of this sin, but rather deliver this person unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that that person might be ashamed and repent and be delivered from that which they have done. Abusers and any other person who wrongs another person in the church should face church discipline. Church discipline is biblical. But I want you to understand that abuse, actual abuse, is a step above what we would merely bring to the church for matters of church discipline. Now, some people misunderstand 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in which Paul says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? This chapter basically tells us that if there's a dispute in the church, if someone's defrauded another person, then we're to bring it to the church, and the church is to handle it. But 1 Corinthians 6 is referring to civil cases, not criminal cases. Now, if you're defrauded by someone in the church, if someone buys a car from you and doesn't pay for it, if they buy something and they don't pay for it, if they steal from you, yes, take it to the church. If they won't hear the church, the church should exclude them. When the church excommunicates them, what are they unto you? Well, they're a heathen man and a publican. They're no longer a part of the church. Then, you should take them to a court of law and recover that which they have stolen from you. But abuse, someone being abused, isn't merely a civil matter, but it is indeed a criminal matter. Therefore, it falls under the jurisdiction of the powers that be. The powers that be are to be a terror unto evil, according to Romans chapter 13. I like to say it this way. If a person abuses a child... While they do need to be excluded from the church, they've not only offended the church, they've offended the powers that be. The powers that be, rulers, are to be a terror to evil. The rulers, according to Romans 13, 4, are the ministers of God to us for good. Did you catch that? He is the minister of God to thee for good, Romans 13, 4. When someone abuses a child or they beat their wife or they engage in predatorial behavior, if it violates the law of the land, not only does the church need to exclude them, the powers that be need to bring swift judgment against them, and they need to suffer for the crimes that they have committed. While 1 Corinthians 6 instructs that the church is to replace courts in civil matters, the church does not replace courts in criminal matters, but is to, alongside the government, condemn in the way they can condemn in excommunicating a criminal, whereas the abuser should face the full wrath of the powers that be for the crimes that they have committed against others. Lastly today, point number four, and this is a statement that we want to make to the abused. If I had to say something to those who are living with abuse, what is it that I would say? 
Well, the first thing that I would tell you, and I know this is such a sensitive subject. I know that this is a subject that can trigger lots of emotions and pain, maybe painful memories that you've dealt with. And so we approach this with the utmost respect and dignity towards you. If you are being abused, you need to get out of danger immediately. Now, once you're out of danger, you need to report this to the authorities. What sort of authorities do we report this to? Well, we report this to our pastor, and we need advice when we're being abused. We need to know how to handle it. And if the abuser is a member of the church, that person needs to face justice for what he's done in the church, too. The church needs to excommunicate him or her if he or she has abused someone. But this needs to be reported to the authorities, as in you need to go to the police. If your husband is hurting you, you need to go to the police. God, again, has given us the powers that be to be a terror unto evil. God does not endorse abuse. If you learn of someone who is abusing a child or a child says that someone is abusing them, then you ought to report it to the authorities. Now, those of us that are pastors or teachers or work around children or work as social workers or medical professionals, we're mandatory reporters. If I learn that someone is being abused... I have to report that, and I do report that to the powers that be if it is a matter of criminal violations. Now, if I learn that a powerful person is having an affair with someone and it's mutual and consensual, as sinful as it is, that's not against the criminal code of the state of Alabama. So obviously, I don't call the police about that. But if I learn that someone is abusing a child, you better believe that the police are going to get called I don't have to be a mandatory reporter to do that, but I just want you to understand that authority figures are mandatory reporters. If abuse of a child is occurring, it is our obligation to report that to the powers that be. Now, occasionally you run into a preacher or a conservative pastor who tells you that unless your spouse is committing adultery against you, if they're beating you, if they're hurting you, well, you just need to stick it out and suffer for Jesus' sake and endure physical affliction and abuse. And there are some passages that talk about how we endure things sometimes from people who are mean to us to bring glory to God and try to convert them. That's true. That is a biblical principle. But you would have to be a Matthew chapter 23 Pharisee to think that Jesus Christ, your loving Lord and Shepherd, would want you staying with a man who beats you or with someone who molests your children. Let me tell you, if somebody is beating you, if your husband is abusing you, get out of that relationship. Get out of that home. He needs help and he needs jail. And when he's done with both of those, then he can talk about how he's rehabilitated and repentant. It's a very hard pattern to break. If someone's hurting you and your child, get out of that. Leave that situation. Now, the type of preachers that would get mad at you for leaving someone who's beating on you, they're really the same type of person who got mad at Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath. They'll say, well, Jesus never said you could leave someone for beating you. Well, Jesus taught us to love others as ourselves. That pretty much excludes beating other people. There were Pharisees in Jesus' day that would get mad at him for healing on the Sabbath, and there was nothing wrong when he healed on the Sabbath. Jesus reminded them of the time that David ate of the showbread. It was not lawful for David to eat of the showbread. That was to be for the priests and the priests alone. But David was hungry. He was starving. He ate of it. And God didn't judge him for that. And Jesus uses that as an example to say, look, when I heal on the Sabbath, there's nothing wrong with that. It's always right to do good. 
even if it's the Sabbath day. The Sabbath wasn't made for Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man, and Jesus is God incarnate. But the Pharisees couldn't see the spirit of the letter. All they saw was the letter itself. They were legalists, and they would judge people for things such as that. If I'm wrong about that, Lord, forgive me, but I cannot see at all how our loving Lord Jesus would demand that abused and battered women and molested children should stay in a home in which they are abused. I'm sorry, you'll just not convince me of that. Remember, it's better for a millstone to be hanged around our neck and drowned in the depths of the sea than to offend one of those little ones who love the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope these thoughts have been informative to you today. Why does abuse occur? Why it should matter with us? How we should deal with it? And then that last word, to those who suffer abuse. I close by reminding us that God has called us to love and mercy and charity. I hope and pray that we have a growing heart towards those who suffer in this way. I hope that we would be willing to speak out and defend those who can't defend themselves, to be a voice for those who are afflicted. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.